the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Doesn't the religious Jew of the first century remind you of someone else? The religious churchgoer of the 20th century, the one who calls himself a Christian and brags about who he knows and what he knows. Because the 20th century churchgoer feels a special responsibility to set everybody straight about the truth. Yeah, he does. In their daily lives, he doesn't hesitate to lecture people who take the Lord's name in vain and say wrong things in his presence. How dare they do that in his presence? Arrogance is amazing, isn't it? It's a quality that we can't see in ourselves, but in others it is as obvious as a searchlight on a cloudy night. The same can be said for hypocrisy. Those are two character traits that no one likes to see in others and almost no one can see in themselves. But Jesus sees them clearly. Of all the people Jesus encountered during his earthly ministry, it was the hypocrites that he condemned. He forgave tax collectors, the thief on the cross, and prostitutes. He often used the term, your sins are forgiven, to restore people to health. But to the hypocritical leaders, he said, woe to you. Well, how about you? Do you practice what you preach? Our knee-jerk reaction is, of course I do. But what would we see if we saw ourselves as Jesus sees us? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff will consider that subject as we continue our series of lessons from the Book of Romans. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are a natural extension of his teaching ministry. Here in chapter 2 of Romans, Paul is addressing the very kind of people whom Jesus rebuked. In verses 17 through 24, Paul has some stern words for the Jews of Rome who felt like they were hot stuff because of the special relationship God had, and still has, with the Jewish people. Let's see what Paul had to say, and we will find plenty of applications for our own lives. Now, here's Pastor Steve. The Jews' relationship with the law was unique. He had been taught it by his father. When he went to synagogue, he was taught it by the rabbis. He had heard it all of his life, at home, in the synagogue, at school. In fact, this word instructed in verse 18 we get an English word from this Greek word, and that's catechism. The Jew was, was involved in catechism. What is that? It means by oral instruction, that, that type of oral uh, type of format, there was a question and answer period of instruction. 
The rabbi would ask a question, the Jew would answer it. The rabbi would ask it again and again and again, and, and just by rote memory and, and rote repetition, the Jew would learn it. He had memorized it. He could even tell you how many letters were in a certain book in the Old Testament. The Jew knew the Bible forwards, backwards. Now, doesn't he remind you of someone else? This person who bears the name Jew. Doesn't he remind you of the religious churchgoer today? The person who, while he may not bear the name Jew, he bears the name Christian. He's very proud of that name because it identifies him with the church and with the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's so proud of that name that if you question whether he's a Christian or not, he gets disturbed. He defends himself by telling you that he bears another name along with the name Christian. Another name that proves he's a Christian. He bears the name Baptist or Presbyterian or Episcopal or Methodist or Catholic. How dare anyone question whether he's a Christian or not? He's got a first name Christian and a last name of some denomination. Not only does he bear the name Christian, Christian Baptist, Christian Catholic, Christian Protestant, Christian Episcopal, Christian Presbyterian or Methodist, but he relies upon the Bible, maybe even the gospel truth. He's been taught it from a child at home and even in Sunday school all of his life. He can tell you all the facts about the gospel. He even agrees with you that it takes belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ to get to heaven. He boasts in God. Sure he does. He's proud of the fact that he knows the truth about God that he comes from a rich heritage where the truth was taught. He's not like those unenlightened natives in distant lands. No, he, he knows the truth. He may even be a name dropper. Sure, he might, he might tell you that he was talking with uh, Billy Graham the other day, and he calls him Billy. Billy and I were discussing things, or, or instead of Dr. McGee and he, it was Jay Vernon and he. Maybe even Jay. They were discussing some spiritual truth. Sure, he's proud of that fact. He goes to Bible conferences and he knows the speakers by their first name. And this man knows God's will. He probably has four different Bible versions in his home. He, has, he probably has a Bible laid out on a coffee table. He's gone to Sunday school and church most of his life. He's familiar with almost every Bible story that's in the book. He even listens to Christian radio, and he likes the big three, McGee, Swindoll, and MacArthur. He knows exactly when they're on. He knows exactly what they've said. He's probably even seen them at certain conferences. You see, the religious churchgoer of the 20th century is really no different than the religious Jew of the 1st century. They both have the same problem. What is their problem? Pride. An arrogant spirit. They consider themselves to be superior to others. They're, they think they're a cut above everybody else. And rather than seeing their advantages and their privileges as evidences of God's grace in their life, they see them as demonstrations of God's favor with them. It's not just that they have the blessing of God, it's that they think they deserve the blessing of God, that it's somehow coming to them. And by the way, none of these privileges are wrong. God gave them his law. God gave them his word. God gave them knowledge of the truth. In fact, these are wonderful, except when you start trusting in them for salvation. When you begin to think that your spiritual advantages give you a special standing before God, then you're in big trouble, eternal trouble. 
That's a false security. It's a false confidence. But you know, God is an expert at chopping away at false confidences. And he does it in the next few verses. When the Jew of the first century thought of himself as better than the Gentiles, what did he do? He set himself up in a unique role towards the Gentiles. He thought he was qualified to enlighten his unenlightened Gentile neighbor. So let's move from the relationship of the law to the role towards the Gentiles. And this is where Paul kind of brings it to a head. Verse 19 says, and their confidence, see, it's sort of, he's sort of speaking in the same, the same way. The Jew thought he was different, unique, enlightened, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. Paul says, you think that your role is to be a guide to the blind. Why do you say that? In Bible days, many people suffered from physical blindness. Physical blindness. And there were a number of reasons for that. Sometimes it was because of unsanitary environments or other times venereal disease. Sometimes it was just a lack of good eye care immediately following birth. But guides were needed to lead these blind people. In the ancient world, it was very important to have a, a good, capable, reliable guide. Great need in the ancient world, but also in the spiritual world too. Because physical blindness became a symbol of spiritual blindness. It's used all throughout the Bible. And those who were spiritually blind, they needed guides also to, to lead them into spiritual truth. Not just any guides, but those who were capable, those who were reliable, those who could see spiritual truth themselves. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, concerning the Pharisees, he said, listen, the Pharisees are just blind people leading the blinds. They can't see, and, and they're leading people astray as well. The Jewish people, though, of Paul's day, regarded themselves with all their knowledge of God's law as what? Reliable and capable guides to those who were spiritually Blind, those who didn't have the law. And then he says in verse 19, not only are you confident that you're, you yourself are a guide to the blind, but a light to those who are in darkness. Verse 20, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature. The Jew saw himself as the only one qualified to guide, to correct, to instruct, to teach those who didn't know what he was privileged to know. His arrogant air of superiority came through in the way he looked upon the Gentiles. Look at the names that he, that he used to refer to the Gentiles. He called them blind and darkness, foolish and immature. In other words, what he's saying is that these know-nothings need me. I am needed to come down to their level and instruct them and help them and lift them up so that they might know God like I know God. That's what he's saying. Doesn't the religious Jew of the first century remind you of someone else? The religious churchgoer of the 20th century, the one who calls himself a Christian and brags about who he knows and what he knows. Because the 20th century churchgoer feels a special responsibility to set everybody straight about the truth. Yeah, he does. In their daily lives, he doesn't hesitate to lecture people who take the Lord's name in vain and say wrong things in his presence. How dare they do that in his presence? And he does it with an air of arrogance, not a sweet spirit. How dare they insult 
my presence by taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not so much that they took God's name in vain, but that I'm here. You dare to speak his name in my presence. He may even teach Sunday school or go to the mission field or be a counselor to those in trouble, trying to help the underprivileged. Or worse yet, he may even go off to Bible school and seminary and be a pastor. All because he has the attitude that he is uniquely blessed and qualified to impart truth to those unfortunates who haven't learned as much as he has yet. Once again, none of these things in themselves are wrong. In fact, Isaiah 42.6 says that the Jew was called and appointed to be a light to the Gentiles, but he was to do it with a humble spirit, with a spirit that recognized that he was no better than the Gentiles, just more privileged. And instead of recognizing that certain privileges require a higher standard, he lowered the standard. He didn't care about the standard. He was, he was consumed with the fact that he thought he was better than everybody else. He was proud, he was arrogant, and it's the same way with the person today who thinks that he's a Christian. He takes his privileges and he perverts them. Instead of being humbled by God's grace in his life, he considers them as things to trust in for his salvation. How many trust in the fact that they've been deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers? If you don't think people do, then you're just naive because so many people will tell you how they have served the Lord. And that's why they ought to go to heaven. They've been the church treasurer, taught in vacation Bible school all their lives. They've been secretaries in, in churches, and they've, they've been involved and active in the Lord's work. It's amazing how many people today say that. You see, they start depending on their relationship with, with the Bible and the gospel instead of their relationship with with Christ. They start depending on things for righteousness rather than Christ for righteousness. The Jew of the first century and the so-called Christian of the 20th century feels that their knowledge of the truth makes them righteous before God and exempt from justice. How about those people in Matthew chapter 7 who Jesus said they're going to come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, we did this. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You proved that you never were my children because of your lifestyle. No matter what you did. And they were even involved in miracles. Jesus said it doesn't matter because you trusted in those things for righteousness. Look at verse 21. Well, he says at the end of verse, verse 20 that you have the uh, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. They thought they had it all, and so they thought they were uniquely qualified to be superior to the uninformed Gentiles. Verse 21. And here is, here is the point that Paul is building. I, I really believe that Paul in verses 17 through 20 is being, uh, in a sense, sarcastic. There is a sense of ridicule in what he's saying. It doesn't come through just as you're reading it. But if you take it in context, Paul is, is ridiculing them for their arrogant spirit. And then he says in verse 21, You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself... In other words, you who are so busy instructing everybody else and setting everybody else straight about the truth, have you first applied the truths to your own life? What he's really saying is the expression we have today, do you practice what you preach? That's what he's saying. And you know what the answer is? It's allowed. No. No. They didn't practice what they preached. And how do we know that the answer is no? Because Paul goes on to ask three 
uh, questions specifically dealing with, with violations that they had been guilty of, violations of the law of God. Verse 21, the second part. You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? Do you steal is the question? Unfortunately, the answer is yes, they did steal. See, the Eighth Commandment said, but thou shalt not steal, and yet they were stealing. The Jews of the first century, in fact, the Jews in the Old Testament, were notorious for taking advantage of people in their business dealings. In fact, when Jesus came to them uh, in the temple, what were they doing? He cleansed the temple and he said, this is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it what? A den of thieves. They were charging everyone high prices for his sacrificial lambs. They were saying you couldn't bring your lamb from outside Israel. You had to buy it here in the temple grounds, and then they would jack up the price. They were thieves. They were stealing. Then he says in verse 22, You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yes, they did. They did. They were known to fool around with slave girls in the Roman Empire. Not only that, they perverted what the Old Testament said about divorce, and they were guilty of adultery as a result. In fact, they came. Uh, Jesus spoke in, in Matthew chapter 5, and he said, all you're concerned about is the legality of it, and the, is just having the right papers in order. He said, if you put your wife away, except for, for sexual unfaithfulness, you make her an adulteress, and you, if you remarry, you become an adulterer. So what he was saying is you're guilty of adultery. You're just concerned about having the papers in order. But if they did neither of these outward sins, they certainly weren't above lusting after women in their hearts. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You think in your heart and have these fantasies and it's just like adultery in God's sight. But the seventh commandment of the law said thou shalt not commit adultery. And they preached that and they taught that. They didn't practice it. Verse 22, the end of it says, You who are poor idols, do you rob temples? That's how it ought to be translated, not just commit sacrilege. Do you rob temples? They would never worship an idol. But you know what? They stole idols. In fact, I want to show you in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25. And this is probably what Paul has in mind. God says, you don't need to turn there, but you can just listen and write it down in your notes. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, what uh, the law said was this. Look, when you go and you take over a people and you drive the Canaanites out of the land, don't take their idols and don't covet the silver and the gold of the idols. But you know, that's what they were doing. In fact, if we look back in history, we'd find that the Jewish people often, either they hired someone or they made a deal with someone to do this or they did it themselves. They would rob heathen temples and they would take the gold and the silver that was from the temples and they wouldn't worship the idols, but they would sell it. They would make a business deal out of it. Sometimes they would be the middleman between the thief and the buyer. In fact, that's, what, uh, that's what's referred to in Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus and there was a riot that, that erupted in verse 37, I read this. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. 
And the person was saying, look, they haven't robbed temples, which obviously meant that there were Jews who were known to be robbers of temples. The seventh commandment spoke against idolatry, but the Jewish people, in a sense, were involved in idolatry. They were, they were profiting from idols. You see, the Jews' sins were really no different from the pagan sins. Let me show you what I mean. If you turn back to Romans, if you're there. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says the pagan is guilty, first of all, of what? Idolatry. Idolatry. But the Jew was guilty, too, of idolatry. Isn't that what Paul is saying? You're involved in a form of idolatry. In Romans chapter 1, the pagan is guilty of sensuality. But the Jew is, too. He commits adultery. In Romans chapter 1, the pagan, Paul says, is guilty of hurting his fellow man. That's why he goes into all these things that, that all wickedness and greed and malice and full of envy. And if you put it in one category, it means that people hurt other people. But the Jew hurt other people too because he stole from them. Stealing hurts people. What's the difference then between the pagan who didn't know the law and the religious Jew who did know the law? Nothing as far as God is concerned. But everything, as far as the religious Jew was concerned, he thought he was better. But he did the same exact things. He wasn't better. His knowledge didn't do him any good because he didn't obey what he knew to be true. And that's why Paul says in verse 23, you who boast in the law through, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? And the answer is yes, you do. And isn't that what Paul said the pagans do? In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, if you look there, for even though they knew God or they knew about God, they did not honor him as God. They didn't glorify him. And Paul turns right around and he said, you who think you're better, you practice the same things as the pagans. And the same result is that they dishonor God and you dishonor God. You see, but there is, in one sense, a difference. With a pagan, when he dishonors God, his sinful behavior doesn't affect others in the same way that the religious Jews' sinful behavior affected others. Look at verse 24. And, and I, I take it that this is Paul's real point. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Paul quotes from Isaiah, and I don't think so much as to say this is fulfilled prophecy, but as a descriptive phrase, when the Gentiles looked at the Jewish people who claimed to be so privileged with the law of God and set himself as teachers of the law, you know what they saw? They didn't see people who acted any differently than they. All they saw was sinful hypocrisy. Sinful hypocrisy. The Gentiles blasphemed the God of Israel. It ought to hurt you to even read that, that God was blasphemed and dishonored. Romans chapter 2 is not a comfortable chapter at all, is it? Those of us who consider ourselves to be good people could probably sound off with some amens while reading chapter 1. But in chapter 2, Paul reminds me a little of the teacher who, when disciplining a student, hears a snicker from the class and says, What are you laughing at? In a movie or on a TV show, that can be a humorous situation. But there is nothing at all humorous about the judgment of God. The great part about chapter 2, though, is that it leads to chapter 3, where we find the solution to our dilemma. So don't give up. 
there is great news coming. You have been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel. He has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's class again or pick up any previous ones you might have missed, please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download any of the files for later. While you're there, explore the site for a while. You can learn more about Pastor Steve and this ministry. We also have links to help you sign up for our free podcasting service and our complimentary newsletter. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the middle part of a three-part message. It's often helpful to hear a sermon in one sitting. If you would like to do that, call us and order your own cassette or CD. Our phone number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. Evangelism Explosion, in their ministry, frequently asks people this question. If God were to ask you why should... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.